You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about overcoming imposter syndrome and supervision. This week, we read How to Feel More Belonging, published in Psychology Today 2021. Heather, the first point in our article is that feelings of belonging can be nurtured. Right. Have you seen this happen in supervision? I think it happens with almost ever, every time, because even I'm thinking of very new, like associates that first come in, like brand new. This is their, you know, very beginning. You can really nurture that into them in different ways. So mm-hmm. one of the ways is like we've all been there. We've all had to go through the training and the level of hours and everyone experiences that differently. Some are very anxious and worried and others come in kind of with like a blank set, like, tell me what to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, you know, right? that kind of feeling. Yeah. I can think of times where maybe even practicum level interns or or students are having a hard time feeling like they know where to be mm-hmm. when they're in the building working in their in their practicum or they maybe come across a form and it's supposed to be signed by a mental health professional and they go okay so who's going to sign this right who signs off this right <laughs> like that's you today right uh so working through that like calling themselves a mental health professional right calling themselves a counselor i think those are ways that i see students or interns transition from not really believing that or owning it into acknowledging or understanding that that's them. Right. And and some agencies do a great job at providing like a title, a title to it. But I think some people don't feel confident in that title. It feels overwhelming. Like, well, have you ever worked at an agency where you thought they do a really good job of the very beginning part, nurturing somebody to get them to a point where they feel like, you belong here, you earned this, you're qualified to be here now. Mm -hmm. Have you ever worked for a place that did that? I went through a transition, and it was while I was in grad school, so I guess yes is the answer, but Mm -hmm. I went through a transition. I worked for a place in a different role, and as I went through grad school, transitioned the role over to the other side, like to the mental health side from just being on the behavioral side. And when I did that, I felt like that transition went really well, but I completely credit my supervisor because he Mm -hmm. was constantly about like, this is who you are now. This mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. and and would give you that feedback multiple times a week. So I credit that to him specifically, maybe not necessarily the, the agency. Whole agency. Right. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever worked at an agency or been involved in an agency that did this well intentionally. Right. Maybe they did. Maybe the culture was that they were used to students. And so they brought people in and they were then a part of the group. But I don't know that anyone ever really sat down and thought, okay, how are we kind of indoctrinating people into this is how we work, this is what we do. Maybe I can say a job that I had when I first started working with clients with eating disorders, I actually was not that interested at all in working with clients mm-hmm. with eating disorders, but they did have a plan to help me ease into that and it worked. I felt like it was intentional. 
it was just, I mean, there was, there were steps and that by the time I got to the end of those steps, I did feel like, okay, I could handle this. Right. I know what I'm going to do now. I know these things. Mm-hmm. So they did that with intention. I would say that they did that with all of their staff and not just their mm-hmm. counselors. But I think that that was a really intentional process that did help me to feel like by the time I was kind of off on my own, I could handle it. Right. I think there's an interesting thing that happens, at least for me as a supervisor, when I have like a really new intern come in and maybe they're in a placement that like is a great fit for now. Right. Mm-hmm. But maybe they're not doing those things. So trying to nurture that along the way can be tricky Yeah, because you're nurturing them as a therapist, but maybe the fit at their agency where they are isn't right. a fit. Well, I think this fits our, our flows into our next point. You and I are saying brand new baby interns or counselors or practicum students need something different. Right. Uh, the way we interact with them is different in order to meet their needs. And that adjusts over time. So you and I were talking about just before we started that when you get a brand new counselor you some, and you've got maybe a lot of kind of seasoned interns, mm-hmm. you forget that you've got to go and and do the the small steps and, and right. get them ready. So, yeah, it would, there are steps and it's a process. And so each person, you might start at a different point with them. So, Heather, the second point in our article is that competencies, opportunities, motivations, and perceptions lead to overcoming this feeling of imposter syndrome and beginning to feel a sense of belonging. Right. So those four things, again, competencies, opportunities, motivations, and perceptions. How is it that we as supervisors are providing these for our interns or supervisees How do we kind of set them up to get these things that they need along the way? So I think the one that jumps out the most at me right away is opportunities. Mm -hmm. Opportunities is using, for me, using my connections, using like, hey, I don't know this about this, Mm -hmm. but I'll go to this training with you or I'll do this with you. Or, hey, maybe you should meet my colleague. She knows a lot about, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. a topic that using those connections help. And you're also modeling for Mm -hmm. those interns that like reaching out to people within especially our community mm-hmm. is like the best way to like grow your own set of people you're going to reach out right to. i had a professor in school that did that for me i didn't really even understand that they were doing that for right me. i think often it doesn't right. it's not obvious yeah no one was spelling it out but now that i look back and and that i've filled out other applications or or done other things i realize wow she even Gave me a research opportunity, a clinical opportunity, an organization opportunity, like a professional organization opportunity. She was so good that she gave me even a variety of different kinds of opportunities. So I had an intern say something to me recently about that, that their supervisor at work kept suggesting, did you know about this? Or did you know Mm -hmm. about that? Or did you hear about this thing that's coming up? And the intern was telling me, not really interested. I don't want to do any of the things, but I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to because she keeps telling me about them. And I thought, oh, this person's work supervisor is thinking about providing opportunities when maybe the intern isn't thinking about it yet. Right. Not as invested. Right. right. But they are this supervisor, I thought, was doing a great job of making that very aware mm-hmm. uh, or making that opportunity really obvious to the intern. So, yeah. Um, what was I, I was thinking of another example related to opportunities, but you're right. Yeah, sometimes, th- or maybe this intern just 
wasn't interested or not there yet. Mm -hmm. That's okay. What about some of the others, competencies, or how do we provide competencies or the opportunity to obtain? Right. Yeah. I think that can be done in a variety of ways. But number one, I think, is giving feedback. Mm -hmm. And so we're often trained to like, like our supervisees come in, they sit down, we chat, they present a client or something they're struggling with. And then we kind of go around and talk about what could we do with this client, right? Like what would be a good, well, don't forget in that process to build them up too. They had other clients that were easy that week or they made successes here along the way or they did say the right thing, even if the client didn't respond the way they thought they would. Like mm-hmm. feeling back in of like, well, that's great that 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 went exactly how it's supposed to go. Like giving, like building their own skills at like the basic level, not even expanding their okay. skills. But like, so you're saying not just providing opportunity for them to learn, but but letting them know when they've learned. Right, you've done yeah. this. You did a great job at that. Yeah, I was thinking maybe the way that I do this or think that other people do this is provide a lot of opportunity for shadowing, a Mm -hmm. lot of opportunity for practice, uh, a lot of opportunity for questions. When I'm training someone or in, you know, a site that I'm actually at versus a supervisee who's maybe at a site that I'm not at, I would have them shadow. Mm -hmm. I would have them then probably come up with a an intervention or identify an intervention and then talk it through with me. Why did you pick that one? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that's going to work? Are there any changes that you would make to it to make it specific to this person and what they're working on? So helping them to feel competent and like they know how to use the the intervention. Mm -hmm. And then gradually taking a back seat to the student or the intern. Okay, now, so I'm going to be present, but you're, you're running the show and I'm just here just in case. So a process there. Right, kind of a step down approach. I think it's also important in thinking about that, that when you have someone that might be stuck or struggling or whatever to go, okay, so you use this for a specific reason. Is that reason still valid, right? Like you're using this intervention because of X, Y, Z. Does that still meet the need? And I think sometimes I do kind of like a question of the week, maybe regarding a tougher client and asking my supervisees to say, okay, so what if it wasn't that, then what would you do? Mm-hmm. Say so again, you're building their own skills so that they can feel that yeah. like asking them to practice in a thoughtful way. Right. Right. What about motivations? How are you building, nurturing motivation in order to then help them feel like they belong? Right. And I think part of it is they belong to a group of mental health practitioners in all sorts of ways. And it may not look how mine looks. They may not want private practice. Mm-hmm. They may never want to do private practice, mm-hmm. but helping them find that niche of like, what are they valuing in their work that they do? Yeah. Because if you value what you're doing, ultimately, you're going to feel connected. Yeah. Right now, close to my private practice office, there are all the high schools nearby have a program. I, I can't even name it. It's some acronym. Mm-hmm. But I think they're doing the part of their this class is is creating motivation that they ask their students to go talk to professionals that have the job they think they want. Right. And I think, I mean, that's often an assignment or an activity in a master's program Mm -hmm. is go interview or go shadow somebody in the role that you think you're interested in or that you might want. I feel like we do this maybe unintentionally, sometimes, hopefully intentionally sometimes, in work settings that we are motivating by when they almost like a self-perpetuating situation where 
you feel like you belong. So then you're more motivated. So then you feel more belong, right? That you feel like you belong more and, and on and on that, um, through feeling successes and feeling yeah. like you belong, then that's the motivator. Right. Like I don't, I think that, that that has been that way for me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that makes the times that you would struggle or the times that things are harder, mm-hmm. it, it kind of ties you, gives you grounding. Yeah. What about as thinking about supervisees, have you had supervisees, I think I have, that were motivated by accompli- the accomplishment of school, of graduating? Yes. And then they were motivated by this numbers game they play with themselves, right. keep track of their numbers. And then when they get close to the end or to the end, then they realize what's motivating me anymore. I had that little like carrot that I was dangling in front of myself. And now that I've reached all my hours and I've finished school, then what am I doing with myself? Right. I actually had a supervisor. He asked me, well, now what? Like supervision just ends? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's a real struggle, like that transition. Yeah. But also to know like you have to have that goal that is something for you as a person. Right. It can't be something your supervisor handed you. You have to yeah. have something that you as a person, like, well, now what does that mean? Right. So you're saying, I mean, the, very specifically this example, the external motivator of graduating from school, it feels good, but it only lasts so long. Right. And the, I think. Right. The external motivation behind, you know, playing the numbers game and keeping track of your hours and the giant mm-hmm. spreadsheet or whatever, that that's external also and only will last so long. So right. if you're going to continue in really anything, you're going to need to find something that internally motivates you and gets you excited. Exactly. You keep working. For me, a lot of these times where I feel this even now would be going to a conference. Mm-hmm. That it's fun to learn something new, but also I get excited about the things I already knew. Right. Or I get excited about that I feel like I do belong to this group of people right. and Look how excited they are about mm-hmm. well, new finger puppet, right? Whatever. Like as you get that connection with people yeah. who have liked interest, you again it it perpetuates itself, right? Right. Okay. What about you? Where do you find that motivation? I generally like to grab my motivate. For me, it's something about like the case that I'm can be most helpful. It might be one of my most intense cases, or mm-hmm. one of, but that they've made those successes and that mm-hmm. they've gotten through it. That's so. Does it apply to supervision too? Like you have a supervisee that maybe either struggled or that just feels really right. successful when they finish. Like, mm-hmm. and I was a part of that. I got them there. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, the last one is, is that perceptions can help to nurture a sense of belonging. How do you think that works? Perceptions. That one's tricky. I feel like that one could go both ways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have the positive perception, then obviously we're going to build great things. Yeah. But I feel like if that perception is tweaked or altered, you could have some big disappointments that pull away from belonging. Oh, I was thinking you were saying that this person perceives that they belong, but they do not. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> Like maybe a supervisee or intern who thinks they are the expert. Right. And you're, and you're thinking, no, you're not. Right. You're not the expert yet here. Yeah, I think that one's complicated. Mm-hmm. How do you, maybe could you talk about your perception? When did you start to feel like, I belong here? I really am a counselor. I think as I, I don't know how far along the way, somewhere along the lines of like, maybe I was licensed for like a year and a half or something like Mm -hmm. that. Still new on the (laughs) counseling Mm -hmm. front. 
But yes, definitely fully licensed and like working. And I've always kind of made a hodgepodge schedule of like, oh, I'm a contract counselor here and I do this other thing. I mean, I've always kind of done that. Mm -hmm. And I think one day I realized I was like in the middle of like writing notes and organizing my schedule in the week for the next week. And I was like, oh, I'm like doing it. I like Mm -hmm. was able to like take off a Wednesday because I had like a personal appointment and like my kiddo had something at preschool. And I was like, oh, I, I like. All those things I thought I would do, it's working for me. But it was really like a lot later than I thought it would come. I kept like thinking like, oh, I'm a real counselor now. Now? Now? Like, yeah. I think trying to think about that answer for myself, I think it has been external Mm -hmm. motivators for me. Okay. So maybe they all, they roll into each other. But I don't know that I ever looked at myself and thought, I am a professional counselor. Until I noticed that other people were looking at me that way. Yes, other people saw you. That certainly my very first job in the in a helping field, I did not think that it was <laughs> grown up or right. professional or knew what I was doing. But not very long into it, the people that I worked with started looking at me like, okay, you yeah. know what you're doing. And in that role, I had I held meetings. Mm-hmm. And I certainly didn't think that I was coordinating a meeting, but all of them did. Right. And so the people in that meeting that I was coordinating, I started to realize, oh, they're waiting for me because I'm in charge of this. Right. I just had another thought as you were talking. I can remember newish at a job and someone introducing me as like my title and my role in the and, and going, oh, yeah, that's me. Like. Oh, yeah. True. I like that. I'm going to think about that later. That when someone maybe introduces with me, introduces me using my credentials. Right. You know, even the first time I was thinking of myself as a supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, yeah. Yeah. I did that. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So other people are are thinking, oh, yeah, I'm a supervisor. Oh, yeah, I am a supervisor. Yeah. Okay. So our last point, Heather, in the article is connectedness leads to both belongingness and a sense of meaning. Right. So we talked through competencies, opportunities, motivations, perceptions, build belonging. But now it's kind of in this snowball effect of connectedness, meaningness, and meaning and belongingness are kind of all wrapped in together. So how have you seen this happen for your supervisees? I think for them and for, I can even reflect for myself because it's a growing process. Mm-hmm. And I have always felt that the more connected I am to my colleagues or to people that I, even to my supervisees, the more connected I am to knowing where they're at and like having a true sense of like where they are in the process, then allows that to like build. Like it builds like not systematically, but again, I like the snowball effect. Like it all snowballs, it starts to get bigger and it starts mm-hmm. to be more mm-hmm. substantial. Mm-hmm. I think I, I do see this happening for myself. I see it happening maybe in the expressions on the faces of my supervisees or like they have their thinking face and I th- and I can tell like, right. oh, you're getting it. Mm-hmm. It feels like that too. Right. But I might do or say something or react in a way that feels like therapist. Mm-hmm. And then I think I'm a therapist. <laughs> and then I think, well, and it's meaningful to me. That's right. important to me. So what was I think? Oh, something kind of sad happened in a work situation. We were saying a goodbye, Mm -hmm. not to each other, but to something. Right. We were just kind of reflecting with each other. And I said, yeah, I wrote a haiku about it. (laughs) 
my haikus about sandcastles and how sand you built work on a sandcastle and then the wind comes and the rain comes and the waves and then the sandcastle washes away. And everyone in the room was really quiet and like attentive while I was saying that. And then someone finally broke the silence and went, wow, you're a therapist. <laughs> and I, well, yes. <laughs> I am. Mm -hmm. But it, I think it that to me is feels like belonging. Right. Yep. That's me. I'm part of that group. And that it holds a lot of meaning to me awesome. that that's something that we do and that's something who we are. And, mm -hmm. and so I like when I can see that on the faces of my supervisees that they're kind of slowly getting to, oh, yeah, I am the mental health professional. Right. I'm supposed to sign that right. piece of paper. That's what I'm supposed to do there. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. Heather and I talked about overcoming the imposter syndrome in supervision. We would love to hear any topics that you would like us to talk about. And we'd also like to get any feedback from you. So please feel free on social media or wherever you listen to your podcast to give us some feedback. Thanks. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.